Welcome to Books, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedna. We're here uh, tonight uh, a sad, sad occasion, um, as uh, this is breaking news um, for us at least, probably not by the time you're hearing it, but uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie um, are getting divorced. And we're oh. going to spend, uh, spend roughly an hour talking about this tonight, because it's important stuff. That's going to really mess with my weekly viewing of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Like, it's going to add, like... A layer, like a gravity that wasn't there before. See, in um, my and I think Angelina Jolie was always at her best in in Hackers. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, she really kicked it in Hackers. Yeah, and uh, let's see, what favorite Brad Pitt movie? Um, the first There's... one that comes to mind is True Romance. Oh, come on, man. Um, after that, I'm gonna have to go. Why don't you give me one? Give me a little time. Give me a buffer. Fight Club. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I guess my real, like, in my heart of hearts, my answer to that question is not necessarily one movie, but, like, every instance in whatever movie where he actually is eating. Like, he eats all the time on on screen. And he is the best, like, eating actor that I've ever seen. This this sounds like, like an episode of the, I'm sure, soon-to-be-released David James Keaton podcast where you have referenced <laughs> a skill that an actor has that maybe not everybody or anybody else realizes that they have some special skill yeah. as an actor. Like, they do it so well you don't even notice it. <laughs> you know who's a really good on-screen eater besides Brad Pitt? No, I have no idea. <laughs> I couldn't name one. Sam Rockwell is an awesome on-screen eater. Is, is this well known? Is this something that I'm just not a part of? Like people talk about this, and I just not that I'm aware of. But um, I'm just going to Google Brad Pitt eating. Oh, I can only imagine what that's going to pull up. Let's see. What... Oh, wait, no. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's see. Brad Pitt eating the mashup. There's a video on YouTube. Um, Brad Pitt eating in movies. The definitive food diary. Why is Brad Pitt always eating something? Yeah, so apparently it's a pretty common it, thing. It, is this a video that was made by you? <laughs> no. Wait, was okay. it? No. I would remember that. I would, I would remember that. Actually, I'm going to start it up just to see how many views. Oh, wait. So, this video, this is you can. T- here's how you can tell this video wasn't made by me. It's had 361,000 views. <laughs> yeah, I don't... There's... There's got to be something. There, there has to be something we can do that gets a, 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 a ton of views on YouTube. Now, last night, we <laughs> talk about weird shit on YouTube. I'm, I'm, I'm reading something, and I decided I, I didn't want, like, light, but I don't have, like, cool colored lights or whatever. So what I did was I, <laughs> I searched for ambient color or ambient <laughs> videos on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I swear I read for an hour with a still... I don't know how to say it's still like a non-moving, you know, the picture was moving, but the camera was still the whole time on two lava lamps. <laughs> so like a and static that had, shot. That had like, that had like 300,000 views too. <laughs> so clearly uh, if you're at uh, youtube.com slash book podcast and see that, you know, most of the videos have like 70 views, lava lamps are more exciting <laughs> than what we do on YouTube. Yep. A lava lamp trumps. Whatever the hell we're bringing to the table. I don't even think it's okay <laughs> to use that word anymore. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I Yeah. that's so, I'm so removed from politics that um, it doesn't even occur to me that that means anything besides what I what, what it yeah. means in my brain. I know. I the lava lamp 
over overwhelms, overrides, uh, whatever. No, Sanders. <sighs> Sanders. It's yeah. Sanders and everything. Um, yeah, Brad Pitt eating probably my favorite my favorite thing about because he looks cool eating like that's so rare. I feel like when I'm eating, that's like the old, that's like probably the only time I don't want people looking at me because I'm super you know I always want people taking pictures of me and stuff like that. But that's just yeah I don't know something I've noticed. All right, this this episode of uh, booked will be covering. <laughs> I will. I would watch Angelina Jolie eat as well. I'm I'm equal on that. I'm not picking sides. The rib from which I remake the world by Ed Kurtz is our, our actual <laughs> review this week, and we will not be reviewing Brad Pitt eating spaghetti <laughs> on the set of his latest film or whatever. Um, Rob is going to tell you a little bit about the author. Ed Kurtz is the author of Nausea, Angels of the Abyss, The 42... And a Wind of Knives, as well as numerous short stories. His work has appeared in Needle, uh, Beat to a Pulp, Shotgun Honey, Thuglet, and several anthologies, including the best American mystery stories of 2014. He resides in good old Minnesota. Uh, his reading at Noir at the Bar also appeared here on Booked earlier this year, the spring edition of Noir at the Bar Chicago. Here's a little bit about the book from Amazon, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, it's from Amazon. I know you were looking for a response from That's me okay. on that. <laughs> the past not only haunts, it hunts. In a small rural Arkansas town in the midst of World War II, hotel house detective George Jojo Walker wearily maintains the status quo in the wake of personal devastation. That status quo is disrupted when a hygiene picture roadshow rolls into town with a controversial program on display and curious motives in mind. What begins with a gruesome and impossible murder soon spirals into hallucinatory waking nightmares for Jojo. Nightmares that converge with his reality and dredge up his painful secret past. Black magic and a terrifying Luciferian carnival boil up to a surreal finale for the town of Litchfield when truth itself unfurls and Jojo Walker is forced to face his own identity in ways he could never have expected. Rob, you mentioned to me before um, (laughs) the episode that you did not read the synopsis. Um, I imagine this was probably pretty, pretty crazy book for you to take on without having knowing a whole lot about it. Yeah, okay, so my perspective of this is coming from seeing Ed Reed at Noir at the Bar, where it was straight crime fiction, like, you know, classic, um, good example of regular, normal crime, noir, whatever you want to call it, maybe even a little bit, yeah, so like, maybe Southern Gothic-y a little bit, but like, straight crime, man, nothing weird going on, nothing supernatural, so... Um, having not read the synopsis, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be something in, in that vein. The book opens up in the time of World War II. So I'm thinking, okay, it's kind of a period piece, but, you know, it's in Arkansas, so it's going to be that, you know, southern, crimey kind of feel, but back then. And then, man, shit just gets weird. <laughs> shit gets weird in a way I was not expecting. So this is definitely one where uh, I'm not going to say, man, I wish I would have known in advance because... Um, spoiler, I enjoyed the book, but it it's definitely was not what I was expecting based on my experience with uh with Ed Kurtz. I um I did read the synopsis and you know I guess we'll talk more about 
how my reading of the book related to that. Um, maybe as the, the review unfolds a little bit, but we are introduced to a Jojo Walker, um, who is a, as it says in the synopsis, a hotel house detective, which I didn't know was a thing. Like, I, I mean, I mean, I guess hotel <laughs> security is really the, the, you know, well, how, how that breaks down today. I would imagine that it kind of morphed into more just like a, yeah, like a security thing. But um, the actual role was almost to like enforce um, a level of, you know, being on the decency. up and up. Yeah, decency. Yeah. Thank you. Um, there was a, that reminds me, there's a song by They Might Be Giants called She Was a Hotel Detective. And I thought they had just made that up. <laughs> but apparently... In that time, that was an actual, um, that uh, yeah. So he his job was to maintain um, clientele and the behavior of clientele in a decent in a manner that was considered decent, which is crazy. Yeah, and we're introduced to him and this position basically by him um, kicking out uh, a man who is bringing a younger girl there under the guise of if it's his wife, and clearly it's not his wife. So, uh, you know, they are not allowed to stay in, in the hotel, um, which, like I said, was just, I thought was just wild. And, and uh, some Google foo um, revealed that this was this was really a thing. And like I said, today, modern day, um, modern day security guard um, back then, hotel detective. And then the other thing that, that was your hygiene pictures. Does, did that did you know that was a thing too? No, I didn't. Um, but I wasn't sure if this was something that was common or this was just something that was a, a vehicle for the specific book. I didn't get the feeling that it was a common thing. Did you? No, I, I mean, you know, the characters treated it, it. That was a little harder to track down on actual, like Google, because you know when you when you look yeah. up high film, too, you get things about brushing your teeth, too right? General, so, yeah. yeah. Um, but everybody in the in the in the book seemed to think it was a common thing, like oh, it's just another yeah. one of those hygiene pictures is kind of how it's treated. So, well, I mean, I guess they didn't have the internet back then, so if you wanted to learn about shit that was going on in the world or whatever, they probably had to come into town and either tell you or show you. So it would make sense. Yeah, kind of weird. Can you imagine no internet? Yeah, I remember no internet. Mm. Rob, oddly enough, I know I'm a little older than you, but I mm. actually remember pre-internet days. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what we used to do in pre-internet days. <laughs> we just waited for the internet. Is I think it's actually... yeah. Well, that's yeah. That that actually happened to me because I uh, <laughs> I'd moved at one point and had Comcast um, high-speed internet. Then moved to an area where I didn't have it. Oh, so you were literally waiting for? Went back to dial-up for two years. <sighs> Which Where did you move of, to? A lot of calls to Comcast going, do you guys have it yet? And they're like, no, no, we, you're on a list. We'll call you when 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 Internet's available in your area. And then they called on a Sunday. And this is actually, we're a little little off track here. But <laughs> Comcast calls on a, on a Sunday, and, and I pick up the phone. And they go, hi, we're calling to let you know that we're now offering high-speed Internet. And I was like, when can you come out? And the lady's like trying to finish her sentence. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I know, but I'm okay. I'm, when, when do I come on? And they're like, well, you know, do you want to talk about costs? I'm like, no, I just need you to come and do this. Like, when's the soonest you can come and do this? And, you know, <laughs> lady in the world. And she's like, this is the easiest phone call I've ever made. 
And I was like, yeah, because I've been calling you guys like every other week for two years to find out when this was finally going to happen. So anyway, you're like, does the installer need a ride? I can be in my car in five minutes. I can drive out. Yeah, there. I was like, can you guys, can you guys come out today? <laughs> I'm home right now. Right now. There's a little, there's a 20 in it for you. If you show up today, um, I'll send you a pie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, we're introduced to Jojo, um, who uh, was a police officer. And uh, as things happened in the 1940s, apparently, he got involved with a, an African-American lady, um, which ended badly for the African-American lady, for Jojo and for Jojo's now former wife. <laughs> um, and he lost his position with the police department. So really, this this hotel house detective thing was uh, is bottom of the barrel for him. This this is what he could get after being, you know, uh kicked off the police force in Litchfield, the town in which it takes place. So that was one of the um, cultural things that I noticed was how the perception of people was such a big deal. This guy basically lost his job not for anything, first of all, that he did at work at all, um, but because of his behavior in his personal life, which um, typically, like Livius and I have, have touched on this hot-button issue I don't know if in, in on the podcast before, but like the the town, the pressure of the town on the sheriff who was worried about getting reelected, um, just for him cheating on his wife with apparently back then it was a deal. You don't want to have sex with the African American ladies. Um, I don't want to get all Jesse Lawrence about it though, and you know start talking about white privilege. <laughs> but um, God, that's a callback to uh, yeah. Yeah. our. Uh, Halloween uh, spooktacular two years ago. Oh man, so funny. Um, that's a big deal. And so I, I guess what I'm mumbling and bumbling trying to say is that the town um, socially pressured the sheriff into firing uh, Jojo because he stepped out on his wife. Man, if we could, if it was that easy to get rid of cops today with all the shit that's going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil any rest of the story. It's a little more serious than what you just said because some events transpired after. <laughs> all that. right, all right. There were consequences. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so yeah, so he's doing the the house, uh, the hotel house dick thing, um, <laughs> and and he comes across, you know, while day drinking or whatever, comes across the the you know hygiene in quotes show that comes to town, and and some things strike him as particularly odd about some of these people, and lo and behold, where is the entire crew of this thing staying? At his hotel. Because of course they are. But I have to imagine this is like a small Arkansas town. Probably mm -hmm. not a massive selection of hotels to choose from. Very true. Um, Good point. Yeah. So this traveling, what is it, hygiene picture yep. show or whatever? The Rocky um, Horror Hygiene Picture Show. The Rocky <laughs> Hygiene Picture Show. <laughs> the Rocky Hygiene Picture Show. Um shows up and that really kind of sets a lot of the action into motion. So um, it's a scandal that uh, this is uh, hygiene show is really talking about sex and stuff, which again, back then apparently nobody would like to talk about anything uh, fun. So this sparks off some protests. So there's like this group of super protesty religious women who immediately are pissed that this movie is going to be shown. And so they are, trying to strike up protests, uh, which introduces us to one of uh, a couple of, of the other bigger characters in the book, Jim Shannon, who is the kind of preacher for the town. 
and his daughter Margie, who is a teenager, who is a little bit rambunctious and uh, rebellious. So we, we get to introduce to them. We're also introduced to Russ Cavanaugh and his wife Theodora. Russ owns and operates the movie theater in town. So he is the one that's setting everything up with this Rocky Hygiene Picture Show to um, play for the, the the town. Yeah, and things, you know, start to get weird. But, you know, we're introduced to Theodora, Russ's wife, through whose eyes we really see Russ and the fact that, you know, he's under a lot of pressure. And because this is during World War II, you know, uh, the economy isn't really great, so they have to do more things to get money because, you know, everybody's, what was they mentioned it a couple times, um, that kind of like not spending money because the country's at war. There's a name for it. I can't think of what it is, but. Like rationing? Yeah, kind of almost like rationing. Um, I don't know if that's the exact, I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah. So, you know, we're introduced to her as she thinks her husband is cheating on her and she's been like the kind of faithful, but kind of, I don't want beaten down, not necessarily physically, but kind of beaten down housewife, you know, who's, who's trying to figure out what's going on with her husband, um, through the course of this stuff. We also meet, I should mention, um, Georgia, the hooker with a heart of gold. She is a uh, Jojo's friend, um, who he spends a considerable amount of time with in the book and, uh, for characters and that's pretty much it. Is there anybody else you want to talk about? That's all right. So there's a ton of characters. So we, we, we get a little bit of backstory on some of the protesty people and some of the other random, um, you know, people are, you know, personalities of the town, but that's the group that we, there's like the weird guy who owns the barn that there's going to be a dance in that old guy. So mm -hmm. there's, there's tons more characters, but these are the kind of the core group, the ones that have the biggest impact on the story. Yeah. Oh, we forgot Charles, the colored bellhop. Charles, described in the book as the colored bellhop. He's that guy also, that... Also described that way in our notes. In Well, I took... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> um, tons of characters. I guess I want to say, this, this has a large cast of characters, but the ones that we briefly described are the ones that have... Did we mention Barker Davis? We did not. Yeah, so there's and a couple more. Yeah, so Barker Davis is, um, the, he's the villain. Let's just go ahead and say it. He's the villain. And I think he's cast that way pretty much from early on. He's the one who uh, brings the show to town. And, and as you start to get the idea early on that the show and the people around the show are part of the, they're the catalyst for bad shit that's about to go down. He is the ringleader for the cast that, is, you know, uh, that that runs the whole show. Parker Davis. I don't even know how to introduce what happens. Okay. I think I can kind of do this. And this is maybe treading a little bit in a spoiler territory. Right. I don't think we're going to go much farther than this. But um, Rob mentioned that the protest is forming and some people are going to go and protest this thing. Um, prior to that, there is an incident that happens at the hotel. And I'm going to tell you what the incident is so you can see how this book goes from you know, zero to, you know, to like 60 and, and considerably past that further on. But, um, a guy's, you know, head explodes in a hotel room. That's it. He's, I don't know what else to say. He, he, blow, he's blown apart by nothing. <laughs> he, so beyond, all right. So yes, but he, it's, it basically 
There's a scream. Jojo runs up to see what's going on. He looks into a room, and this guy, his body has been pulled apart. Like, arms are just uh, pulled apart, pulled off the body, legs pulled off the torso. It's just, like, a gory mess. And it looks like something that any random one person would be physically incapable of doing. So that's when things start getting weird. And that's yeah. the beginning of the weird. Yeah, and it and it, it just keeps going from there. Um, it's it's a hard book to talk about because beyond that, there you know, it spoils. Yeah, yeah. So what what we have though is, and I was going to save this for my for my summation. Um, almost Stephen King like storytelling in this. And if you've read a lot of the small town Stephen King or any of the small town Stephen King stories, you'll get a good idea of of what I mean by that. In that, you know, something comes to town, clearly it's evil, it's affecting a lot of people, shit goes down. But with way less aliens. (laughs) With fewer, with fewer aliens. Um, I had the exact same thought. I was thinking too that um, I was reminded, especially with how some of the people start changing. Um, Needful Things was one of the books I read by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, gave me kind of a, a vibe of that. Um, but yeah, just very Stephen King in the way that shit starts out so crazy mundane. And it just, at some point, you start to realize things aren't as, as, as normal as you would think. And then it just goes way off the rails. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, um, mundane. Yeah, I, this book was off to a really slow start for me. And <laughs> then I, by the end, I mean, it, it has completely changed the, what it looked like on the face, the, the pacing yeah. and everything. But yeah, the first third of this book, I, I, you know, I, I, I felt it was a snoozer. You know, and, and there was nothing wrong with the storytelling. I was just like, "There's really nothing happening. It's really nothing happening." happening. Yeah. And then this thing takes off like a like a goddamn rocket ship and, and keeps <laughs> going all the way through like the last page. Like you, know, you, you get like this. Typically, in, in this type of story, at least in my experience, like you know, the climax happens, and then there's like a like a twenty page kind of wrap up. Like, where's yeah. everybody now? <laughs> no, this thing just just keeps going all the way to the end. So, yeah, it, like. The visual representation of this book is, like, there's a horse, like a guy on a horse going through town, and at one, you know, at a normal horse pace, and at one point a gun goes off, and the horse freaks out, and the guy flies off the horse, and it just goes running off a cliff. Like, that's what this book is. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. This is, that's, that, you know what, Ed Kurtz (laughs) should just take that and re-blurb the back of this book. They should go ahead and just recall and destroy all the copies that are in existence, and that should be the blurb for this book. Yeah, it's not the rib from which I remake the world. It's the horse that ran off a cliff. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But in, like, a really entertaining way, like, in a super entertaining and freaky, sometimes disturbing, but definitely entertaining way. Yeah, so um, uh, other things of of importance... um, Jojo, and it's mentioned in the in the synopsis, Jojo has a, we'll say a condition that did not become clear to me for the first half of the book, I think, maybe even a little more than that. Were you, were you with me on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we finally got to like his condition, I was like, I, I, I can now see back where it was kind of hinted at, but I, I didn't, it wasn't really clear. 
But it just continues to add to the weirdness of this yeah. book. Yeah. And it gets weirder and it gets wilder and it just keeps going. And and I, I here's here's what I pictured at, at some point. I pictured that there were um that this got submitted around to some places and some people were like, Yeah, I'll read the first few chapters and see what I think, and that there were a lot of no's for Ed. But that yeah. somebody just got like that one extra page and they were like, Huh, holy shit, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. and then yeah so that's uh that's pretty much where we're at i don't know how much else we could talk about we didn't well, talk about the sexy nurse there's a sexy nurse <laughs> there was a sexy nurse and um actually one thing that i want to talk about that i don't think spoils things but i think is is one of the more interesting um parts which actually kind of brought to mind other books uh that we've talked about in the past was the actual hygiene picture itself um so because of the scintillating nature of what people are hearing about this movie and the fact that this stuff doesn't normally happen, it sounds like in this town, everybody's really interested to check out this movie. Maybe a little embarrassed to be seen or that, you know, to, to admit that they're interested, but they all are kind of, it's that kind of, you know, curiosity. And um, so this movie is just packing them in basically day after day. And it's the movie is the vehicle to um, trying to think of, uh, of the most neutral word possible to have an effect on the townspeople. And I won't say what happens, but the way that that part of the book is executed, where um, you go, you get into this movie, you're watching the movie, and then our sexy, weird nurse is actually one of two nurses, but there is. The nurse is there because, I'll back up a little bit, introducing the, the movie is someone who claims to be a doctor, and he's kind of explaining some stuff, and then the movie plays. So the doctor is accompanied by the nurses, and the nurses are kind of working the crowd and um, selling pamphlets with, like, more information, but also secretly inviting people to a midnight show that's by invitation only, which who, who is, you know, who wouldn't? interested in that who was already here at this movie so right except for the fact that like alarm bells should go off when there's a midnight show that's invitation only yeah well yeah <laughs> <laughs> just be like no i'm gonna pass it well i mean there's one of two ways that can go it's like either that's where they're gonna murder me or that's where i'm gonna see all the boobs yeah that's a good point i and guess yeah most of the time it's gonna be boobs so that whole the the setup of the movie as the way to influence the townspeople, and um, the description of what actually happens in the film, reminded me of other stuff we talked about, like um, experimental film. Mm-hmm. Was the one book by Gemma Files, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there was the is it called the Night Film? The Night Film, yes, by Marissa yep. something Pestle or yep. something like that. Yep. And then yep. um, a short story that we read not too long ago entitled I Can Taste the Blood. Yeah. The from I Can, I Can Taste the Blood. <laughs> yeah. So. so, like, the idea of, especially for me, most of all, it was the experimental film one where, like, um, something that is, you know, captured on film, on celluloid, if you will, can actually have an effect on people and change the way they behave and stuff, I thought was just really well executed. And especially... For us, reading in the current day, thinking about how back in those days, weird shit like that could happen, um, it really sold it, I think, even more for me. Yep. We did, uh, we didn't. 
the synopsis mentions a <laughs> Luciferian carnival. And yes, there is some carnival play in this as well. Um, really overall, I mean, yeah, this isn't the wrap up, but holy shit, man. This, this, this <laughs> caught, like I said, this caught me off guard. You know, I was expecting to read something, you know, hopefully I enjoyed. And I was kind of putzing along through it and going, yeah, this is all right. This is all right. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, you throw in what Rob said, the movie thing. You throw in the weird carnival stuff. You throw in some other stuff we're not going to talk about. And you have this chaotic and really pretty genuinely frightening story. Yeah. So. And and shit that – all right, so we don't spoil the book, and I'm not going to. But, like, when you get to what's – when you finally when, – when what's really happening is finally unveiled, you're like, what? <laughs> Holy shit. Like, it's almost like, you know, a curtain – unveils something and then you see like then there's a bigger curtain that unveils more and more and more so like it's like it's layers of of reveal after reveal to the point where you get to the end the word surreal showing up in in the synopsis is not casual (laughs) it's a really surreal thing that's going on yeah no joke um so i think that sometimes when we review books we fail to in, in in the in the interest of not spoiling something, we fail to say how fucking crazy the part we can't tell you about is, but it's really important for you to know that like, like Livia said, it started slow. Once it hits that, you know, once it starts to ramp up that ramp, like the shit that you see is just totally insane. It's completely insane. It is. Um, I sadly have no quotes, um, mostly because <laughs> I actually didn't read this on the Kindle. Um, which we had a Moby copy of, and I read it half between an iPad that, that is not currently in my vicinity and on my phone, of all things, because <laughs> once this thing got going, I was just reading this wherever I could. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, do you have any quotes, Rob, that you want to? Yeah, I've got a few, and I'll try and okay. keep it. Um, some of them are probably going to be uh, too much of a spoiler for me to share, but um, uh, actually this first one is in the prologue, but I like the way it was stated and it kind of gives you an idea of some of the creepiness. A trick Tim thought the old bastard is trying to scare me. The old bastard was doing an exemplary job of it. That was really good. And, and just, there's a lot of cheeky kind of fun, um, narration. It is a a third person narration. So we can kind of see the omniscient side of things. So he checked his wristwatch, realized he wasn't wearing one and then headed up to the hotel. Stuff like that is really good. It gets a little weird, though. So, like, we mentioned that there's a, a victim of, of a crazy dismemberment in the hotel. Pete. Oh, Jesus, that's Pete. JoJo silently corrected him. Now Pete's just meat. Yeah, JoJo was really <laughs> kind of um, amusing, even though it was a third-person narrative. Yeah, it was... Yeah. JoJo had some lines. JoJo had some good stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I just like the way that Ed writes some of this stuff. Like, just random, not super important lines. He picked it back up and stabbed it out in the ashtray like he was committing murder. Like, I've never heard someone put that much effort into explaining, extinguishing your cigarette, cigarette right? Can I just share, though, as a as a former smoker, JoJo's the most irresponsible <laughs> fucking smoker ever. Was that driving you nuts, like, the whole time? It was driving me fucking crazy. This guy either didn't have cigarettes or didn't have matches throughout the whole book. I'm not even, you said he stubbed out a cigarette. I'm like, I don't even know if he ever got to smoke one. 
Yeah, he smoked sometimes, but yeah, it was it was an ongoing thing that yeah he was always missing a crucial part to the smoking experience. You'll tell me if I need to take this out. Um, <laughs> this is, I think, out of context enough where it's not going to spoil anything. But well, if that don't beat all, it's a goddamn werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine that in the middle of like tons of chaos. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Can I make one final mention of something um, writing, writing-wise? Yeah, absolutely. Not necessarily a quote, but something I, I, I picked up on, and I don't know if you did, and most people probably never will. Did you notice that it was written, um, or at least at some points, there was the British-English spelling of certain words? No, oddly I did not. So I highlighted a couple. Um, one, the word defense, spelled D-E-F-E-N-C-E. And another color, C-O-L-O-U-R. So the British English, usually words with that end in S-E for us, sometimes they'll end in C-E in the British spelling of it. Hmm. And color with the additional U. So I know this was published by Cheesing, right? Uh-huh. Uh, which is a Canadian um, publisher. And because Canada, as we learned, is part of the Commonwealth, right? Or not the Commonwealth, but the... Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Learned, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. It's quite possible because Ed lives in Minnesota, so unless Which is he basically Canada, basically Canada, but unless he, yeah, so it's something I picked up on, and I found one typo. Ernest Hemingway's last name was spelled H E M M I N G W A Y. Maybe that's the British spelling. Extra M for Hemingway. Yeah, why not? <laughs> all right, since I did all the quotes, how about you start the wrap-ups? Uh, I didn't know what to expect from this. I know that we really enjoyed Ed's reading at um, North Bar Chicago earlier this year. I love the title of this book. It is one of the best titles I've seen um, of late, The Rib From Which I Remake the World. I read the synopsis when we kind of talked about doing it, and I didn't read it again. So I had this vague idea. It's about a detective during World War II, and some weird people come to town, and maybe there's something supernatural. But nothing, nothing prepared me for what I actually wound up reading. Um, The book reminded me a lot of Stephen King. It also reminded me of Good Sex, Great Prayers by Brandon Teets, another book I really enjoyed. That same kind of small town, maybe yes. good versus evil, weird backgrounds for people kind of um, situation. I don't know that I have ever read a book that ramped up like this one did. <laughs> I'm just going to be really honest. This thing went completely off the fucking rails in in the best way possible because just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier, it just got crazier. And got crazier, and then you go, okay, we have the we have the the finale. It's all over. The climax has happened, and then it just goes one step crazier beyond that. So, um, that being said, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this book. Um, a little slow at the start for me. I'm gonna ding it a little bit for that, and I'm gonna go with uh, four and a half stars. Oh, someone enjoyed this book. All right. Somebody, somebody did. That somebody was me. <laughs> that somebody was Livius. Um, maybe not the only person. We'll find out in probably a minute and a half when I'm done with my wrap-up. I did not read the synopsis, and so I was taken more by surprise <laughs> when things started to get really weird. Um, 
But I think that the pace is very intentional. And the only other book that I can think of off the top of my mind, at least, that reminds me of how the pace changes throughout the book is something that probably, I'm guessing, Livius hasn't read. Um, Everything is Illuminated by Jonathan Safran Foer. I read like a lifetime ago. And it starts out at a very slow pace. And as the book goes on, it builds and builds and builds. And the pace keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And like to the point where the literally at the last page when I finished reading the book, I was I felt like I was actually out of breath because of how the pace had just kept quickening and quickening. Um, only book I can think of that ramps up the way that this one does. But man, it's a really entertaining book. There's a lot of stuff going on. I really didn't know what was going on for a good chunk of the book. And then I was like, okay, I got this. I know where this is going. And guess what? I really didn't know what was happening. And then when I thought I figured it out, again, another layer. And I didn't really know what was happening until the you know you, you finish the book and then you have the impression that you have. So it kept me guessing the whole time. I was really, really enjoyed the JoJo character and the other main characters that came about definite echoes of like we said Stephen King um if you liked I'm Stephen King I'm guessing this would be a very good author to uh start out with with this book another another thing because of the circus thing and the element of just kind of showing up and 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 bringing your performance to a town and kind of disrupting the everyday life but in a in a in a mystical and kind of curious way was the night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Vastly different book that goes in a vastly different direction, but like that kind of the wonder of, of the carnival and stuff. There was hints of that throughout, and um, it kind of reckoned me back to Night Circus. I don't know if Livius will agree with me on that. Um, I just like talking about and recommending the Night Circus. <laughs> I think that's. <laughs> it's- it's weird because you say that. I keep thinking to myself, that might be Rob's favorite book we've ever reviewed. I don't know if you would ever actually openly say that, but anytime it comes up, anyway, it's, our, it's a great book. Um, so there's just so much good going for this book. And um, even though it ended up being vastly different than what I was expecting based on my previous experience with Ed Kurtz, the one thing that's consistent between what I saw at Noir at the Bar. And what I read in this book is that it's obvious that this guy is a really good storyteller and his writing skills are just dead on. So I would definitely recommend this book to people who aren't um, aren't afraid of reading things that get a little bit weird. I don't think it's too graphic and I don't think it's going to be um, terribly offensive or off-putting, but it gets weird. Um, but it gets weird in a way that's really entertaining and it, and it forwards the story. So I'm going to step up a little higher than Livius, and I'm giving this straight five stars. I uh, During your wrap-up, not that I wasn't listening, but I, I was looking up some other Ed Kurtz books, and uh, it, it looks like this might be a little bit of a departure for him. Yeah. Uh, and I can't, because I haven't read the other ones, say this you know, with anything, but if this is a departure for him, I, I think he should continue on this path. <laughs> yeah, that's our uh, request. Keep doing. Hey, but like... I wouldn't be surprised if everything he wrote was just at this quality. Yeah, you know, I it's it's interesting that you say that because I'm I'm challenged with with another thought that I have about something completely unrelated. But when you have an author that that steps outside of I'm going to say normal, 
you know, writing it. And by that, I mean like a crime author, like, you know, a, a crime book is, is crime. These, these two guys, they're going to go, they're going to rob a bank. Shit gets fucked up. People get killed. They're yeah. on the run, whatever. You have a very normal, I don't want to say everyday story, but, but you have a, a story that's grounded in reality. There is a magic to doing something that, you know, whatever you want to call this particular style, urban fantasy or, or whatever, that's a little different, and it doesn't mean that you you can't be a great storyteller and tell crime stories or romance stories or or you know whatever literary in quotes fiction. Um, but when you step off into the fantasy, um, two things happen: you may lose some people who don't like that kind of stuff, but you can open up a little bit of a of a door in your writing that's just a little more magical because of the type of story that you can tell. Yeah. So I don't know that I want to encourage everybody. To do this, <laughs> but I, I, I like when we depart from that. And some of our favorite books that we've read, if we, I think, if we think back, you know, you talk about the Night Circus, or, or you know, we talk about, yeah, you know, I mentioned um, Good Sex, Great Prayers, or you know, there's a number of books we've read, Strangest in the Proportion. Oh, All of them yeah. have had that extra element to them that somebody who writes straight literary or crime or or, or even horror but horror that's ground horror that's friday the 13th and and i guess I'm, I, I shouldn't that's a bad example because you have a supernatural <laughs> killer but you know what i mean like your slasher and stuff right there, there's a magic that can happen there that that it, a little bit to me elevates at least the story even if not the writing itself or the storytelling but the actual story because you don't know what could happen around the next around the next corner with your straight i'll go back to my bank robbery gone wrong instance yeah someone's going to get killed or someone's going to turn on the other person there could be some you know surprises mm-hmm. but nothing like what happened in this book or nothing well, like what you know what i mean yeah and i think part of that is like it affects scale so in a straight crime story um the thing that could surprise you is going to be the way a person acts, but like in a, in a world that incorporates potential magic, it's like once you introduce something supernatural or magical, like everything is seen through a different kind of lens. Right. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a little, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah it's cool. It's good. I, I, I enjoyed this quite a lot. I did too. Um, we'll, we'll re- we'll read more Ed Kurtz if he writes more stuff like this. <laughs> That's really, that's, that's really yeah. what I'm saying. I Ed, guess. we're gonna read more of your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got? Uh, uh, we're done, right? We're gonna we're gonna move on to whatever else we're talking about. Yes, which is, um, witches. We're talking about witches. We're talking about. It's almost October, dude. <laughs> we're gonna have to talk <laughs> I, about witches. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah the the next and and one of the only things we have is a, a little follow up to our last episode. One listener, one very <laughs> astute listener, took up the challenge. And the challenge was, <laughs> we can't remember. Yeah, we can't remember why Rob's um, Skype message <laughs> profile, whatever you want to call it, status. Oh, this is so entertaining. Is, is Skype is not a replacement for game. And, and Rob and I spent a considerable amount of time for something this silly, trying yeah. to figure out what book that was a quote from. <clears throat> and. uh Turns out that it wasn't it wasn't from from from, from a book at all. And uh, <laughs> astute listener Andrew Koraleski um, gave us this answer, uh, and I, I will say this was maybe twelve hours after you posted. So the episode got posted yeah. like in the middle <laughs> of the night, which was a little weird for us. And this was was the next day at five in the afternoon. So 
you know, whatever, 14 hours after the episode was posted. For some reason, you guys were reading reviews of Pheromones <laughs> phrase on Amazon. And, you know, I remember this, but it's funny because the reason, the way he said it, and I'm thinking to myself, why? Why do we do this? Why the hell were we reading reviews of Pheromones phrase <laughs> on Amazon? Under questions, someone asked if it really works. The answer was yes, but it's no replacement for game. <laughs> Andrew, you are a hero, as Rob commented. Um, a, for, for figuring that out for us. B, for remembering something that dumb. I mean, that's just really... And, yeah. and C, for pointing out that just for some reason, unbeknownst to anybody, <laughs> why we would do this, that's what we were doing on this podcast. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things when we just fall into an Amazon rabbit hole. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, I think it's better than some of our book reviews. Yeah, We, we didn't have the innovation of, of, doing, of, of making a video of a lava lamp, so... I think that's the next best thing. Yeah, Andrew, do us a favor, because um, clearly you listen to this podcast way yeah. closer than anybody should. Um, send Including us a message. The host. <laughs> yeah, send us a message to the booked account. We want to we want to send you a little care package of booked goodies for uh, for helping us out with that. So if you would send us a message, we'd like to grab your address and send you a little something. Yeah, that was um, that was heroic. Um, and then I got to thinking about that. There's two reasons I could think of that someone would remember that. Either it was very entertaining, which I'm really crossing my fingers is the reason, or they were so either disappointed <laughs> or upset with us for like thinking that it was okay to make that a part of something that people listen to that they couldn't forget it because they were angry. So I'm hoping that it was more entertaining than like disappointing. <laughs> There's a third option, and I, I don't know Andrew, and I, and I know some listeners and stuff, so I'm, I'm going out on a, on a limb here. It's possible that he ordered the pheromone spray and just figured out that it wasn't a replacement for game. And he was like, God damn it, they said it wasn't a replacement for game, but I didn't listen. He's like, bullshit, it is a replacement for game. And then he tried it out, and he's like, you know what, they were right. Yeah, so you should anyway, listen to that comment. Huge thank you to Andrew Koroleski um, for, for straightening that little situation out for us. Um, See, and that's and, the weird thing about... All right, so I'm, I'm going to totally derail this conversation in the in the five years we've been doing this five plus years we've been doing this we can't get someone to fucking respond to us on twitter when we're trying to give them free stuff but we ask why my 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 status on skype says skype is not a replacement for game and that's when someone responds to us like i don't understand people maybe we should start challenging them with more booked trivia there you go. Welcome, welcome to Booked Trivia, where we ask you about things we forgot about. <laughs> I just it boggles my mind. It is. It's a little. It's a little mind uh, mind boggling. Um, do we have anything else? What's what else is new with you, buddy? Hey, um, nothing. <laughs> all right. Um, nothing at all. Nothing that I'm I can gonna, think of anyway. I'm going to tell you what's up next. Our next episode is going to be a review, albeit um, I'm going to assume a short review because we're going to read a really short book. Brian Evanson, who uh, is is getting up there and challenging um, S.G. Brown for most reviewed books on Booked, I think, um, <laughs> has a new novella that came out uh, today, the day we're recording this, September 20th called The Warren, and uh, Rob and I couldn't be more excited about new Brian Evanson, so we're going to be reviewing that next week. Yeah, and then I'm going to be out of town a little bit, so our schedule gets a little bit unsure. You could probably look forward to another interlude coming up soon um, due to my travels. We'll do our best to bring you, obviously, 
as much non-interlude stuff as possible, but I just want to say, and it came up a little bit earlier when we are talking about witches, it's getting close to October, and you know what that means. Yep. It's, uh, it's all horror at booked in October, <laughs> or at least we hope that's what it's going to be. We might have... Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I hate doing this. Uh-oh, uh-oh. We might have some really exciting news in. Oh, the, are you vague casting two again? episodes? I am totally vague casting. We might have some really ridiculously exciting news um, coming up very, very shortly, um, which is good news for the podcast. Maybe good news for listeners. We don't know. Um, oh, there is something else, too. There is a good chance that our next episode will include, um, I don't know, a recap, a, a little mini review of Desiree. The yeah. movie based on Dermaphoria by Craig Clevenger because that um, comes out prior to our recording of the next episode. So if we can squirrel away 90-ish minutes to, to do that next week, uh, maybe we'll see the Warren and Desiree in one episode. Yeah, looking forward to I've We've been looking forward to that forever, so I'm very excited about that. Um, so yeah, there's some fun stuff coming up, and um, hopefully we'll be able to share some good news about something. Looking forward to it. Have you, um, so we were talking about what we might do for the, on the last episode, what we might do for, um, for Halloween, uh, spectacular. Do you even understand what Jesse's message meant? I'm going to read Jesse's message for you guys. <laughs> and neither Rob nor I responded to this mine because I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Oh yeah. It says Rocky horror remake, Halloween Carpenter versus Halloween zombie. Dr. Fives 2 versus Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know if he wants us to watch six movies and compare and contrast them. Oh, I think he. I think he's giving options. Oh, oh, so we can't do all three? Because so I was okay with doing all three. We either do the Rocky Horror remake or we compare the Carpenter Halloween to the Rob Zombie Halloween or Dr. Fives 2 versus Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't understand how that last one came. <laughs> like, what is the a little bit I don't fucking no man a little never, bit weird yeah. and random yeah um I, I i don't know that we're going to do any or or maybe we'll do all of those but uh we, we do promise there will be a spooktacular this year prior to halloween yeah gowan or no gowan that shit's happening <sighs> have you acknowledged her existence since the since the christmas debacle <laughs> is this on the air or off the air oh i don't know whichever <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. So we hold grudges. It, yeah. If this goes on the air, we'll say this that who knows? Maybe, maybe the 10 month um, um, silent, silent treatment. Yeah. Whatever it is, um, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll be gone. Who knows? Um, either way, we'll be back next week with a, uh, with a book review, maybe a movie review. I don't know. I don't think we're going to get to go see The Blair Witch, right? I don't think that's likely. I thought, mm, probably not. Yeah, time time wise, I think we might be a little bit out of out of because it's out now, right? Oh, it's been out. It's been out for days since last Thursday. Oh, so we're not going to have a timely review like we had for thirty one. <laughs> no, 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 we won't. Um, well, Rob has a lot of editing to do for this last few minutes. I'm not sure what you guys are hearing, but either way, we hope to uh, <laughs> to see you again next week. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. Now, Rob Olson, keep reading.